Welcome to I Fought the Lore, the podcast where we examine a paranormal tale and try to figure out why people still talk about it today. Where we don't care about true or false. We're only interested in how or why some stories linger in the backs of our minds while others disappear completely. In the end, we'll try to figure out if the lore won or if the lore lost. We're your hosts, Ben McDewey and Rico Sweets from the Mean Streets. We're here to bring that magical tale to your teeny tiny tingly ears. We survived the Chooper Duper Cobra. Um, We we may need a new Winnebago or something because there's some big old holes in this one. And oddly enough, they're all in pairs, and there's no sets of three. There's claw marks. There's maybe some tooth marks. That sucker was ugly. That lipstick? Shut up, man. Okay, you know what? Sometimes you go on Tinder, you don't know what you're going to get. All right? (laughs) Showed up, wasn't what I wanted, then we had to go. Real quick-like. Steve Buscemi with a skin condition showed up. It was like a bug-eyed Mrs. Incredible. Again, Steve Buscemi. But this week... We are here to bring you not one, not two, but three different stories about goats. Goaty folk, if you will. The reason there's going to be three stories this week is because... Are, are we mocking the Trinity? Is that a, is that a thing? Yes. It's, hold on, hold on. If you're listening to this at 3.33 in the morning, we all just mock the Trinity together. What time zone is that? All time zone. So the reason we're here to talk about three different goatee folk um, is not because we're mocking the Trinity. Come on, we're nicer than that. But because, frankly, there's just not enough material for more than 15 minutes for any one of these suckers. The first one I want to start off with is the Pope Lick Monster. (laughs) I mean, sounds like fun. It does, actually. Everybody's got their freak, but the Pope Lick Monster, a.k.a. the Goat Man of Louisville, Kentucky. Have you heard about this one? I'm somewhat familiar with a menagerie of various goat men, bunny men, moth men, lizard men, but I don't have a real good grasp on any particular one, so... I'm always up for a good half-breed freak story, and I'm looking down the barrel at three of them, so I'm in a pretty good place right now. Well, it's a good chance that if you've heard one, you may have heard of the others, and they're very easy to mix up. Mm. Why? Because they're all goats. Yep. They're all goat people. Goat men, goat women, goat folk, goat people. But we're going to start off with the Goat Man of Louisville, Kentucky, a.k.a. the Pope Lick Monster also known as the Sheep Man. So he's a Sheep Man and a Goat Man. So this guy is described as being part goat, part man, part sheep. And yet they also just refer to him just as a straight-up monster. Yeah, I mean, if you're part man, part goat, part sheep, you're kind of probably monstrous looking. I'm sure somebody along the way just decided to really generic this guy up. That's what it's seeming like. So the Hopelick Monster a.k.a. Goatman, a.k.a. Sheepman, probably isn't as well-known as most of the other North American legendary monsters like Bigfoot, our old buddy Chupa Dupacabra, or Mothman. I think those are probably the big three, in my opinion, of 
North American cryptids. Which is sad because as as we have established in the past, the American Chupacabra is kind of lame. Yeah, he's pretty weak sauce. But this goat man in Louisville, Kentucky, definitely has a local celebrity status. And he's built up his own reputation. Hey, a go-getter. I like him already. A goat getter or a go getter? <laughs> a goat getter. Excellent. Oh, I'm clever. There's going to be a lot of this, isn't there? Oh, maybe. He's named after the Pope Lick Creek that runs below the train bridge that the beast is said to make his home. The actual origins of this thing are a murky mystery. I do like a good murk. And again, all good urban legends have a nice murky mystery about them. There's never any clear, defined start point or origin. Depending on who you ask, the beast was either exhibited as a circus freak in the late 19th century and escaped captivity and vowed revenge for being mistreated. Or he might have been set free when lightning struck the circus train he was in, causing it to derail, leaving him the only survivor, and vowing revenge for that so this uh, this gruff old man surviving train crashes and vowing revenge, I'm getting a lot of uh, Liam Neeson and Harrison Ford vibes here. You know, like Tommy Lee Jones is going to chase this guy to a, the end of a dam and Goatman's going to turn around and just go, nah! Tommy Lee will look at him and say, I don't care. Liam Neeson could really pull off a whole goat look if you think about it. He could. You put some little fuzzy ears on the side of his head and dye all his hair white and give him like that kind of goatee that he had when he was in the Star Wars movie. Goat man. If I could do any sort of justice to an Irish accent, I would love to just, you know, smash cut to Liam Neeson, dress as a goat, pick up a phone, breathe real heavy into it, and just go, Meh! <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the whole I will look for you, I will find, I mean, you know, I guess that works too, but... One source suggests that the monster was a Native American skinwalker. Now, this is a question I had because I don't want to generalize. And I know skinwalkers, at least in the last, I want to say maybe 10 years, have become very popular with talk of Skinwalker Ranch and just a general growing popularity in things that go bump in the night. And I was curious to know. If skinwalkers were something that most, if not all, Native American tribes subscribed to, or if this was something that was specific to one particular tribe or geographic location. Now, to my knowledge, these skinwalkers are strictly a Navajo thing, and I'd be curious to know if the Navajo were big in Kentucky prior to being settled by white folk. Or uh, if there was another tribe that was more dominant in that area. I have no idea. But that could bear further investigation. I think it should. Or maybe the goat man started out as a local farmer. Decades ago, a farmer was reputed to be sacrificing goats to Satan and struck a deal with the devil in return for supernatural powers. Though I'm not so sure that looking like a goat is much of a power. And it's said that this goat man attacks his victims with an axe, but I'm pretty sure he could have done that as a human, too. So it's kind of cool that what we have so far is you've got this nice little blend of native legend local to the area. But then you also have that southern Christian paranoia of anything <laughs> satanic or pagan 
immediately the whole half goat thing brings to mind images of satyrs or sat satyrs. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I always thought it was satyrs, but I honestly have no clue. So the Pope Lick monster, freaky freaky, is described as having powerful goat-like legs, hair-covered body, and a pale white face with goat horns. But this beast is said to be so hideous that people who are lured out onto the bridge and see him leap to their deaths rather than face the thing. Now, Rico, yep. you mentioned the early 19th century, not too long ago, in terms of Goatman's origin story. The people I am picturing who would have been forging a living in Kentucky around this time, I picture as being very tough, very leathery, weather-beaten, facing wolves and bears and sickness and starvation, just very manly men and women. Hardy folk. That's right. You, you know, real salt-of-the-earth types. So for one of these individuals to climb a bridge and be so stricken with terror by the sight of something that they choose to yeet themselves off the bridge rather than face it or escape it or manage it in any other way. It just calls into question their whole sense of self-preservation, which I otherwise would have thought was pretty strong. Well, here's the thing. From what I've been able to gather, the stories seem to have started sometime in the 60s or 70s, actually. Oh, okay. And the legend was told as though it had started decades beforehand. So the deal this guy struck with the devil not only backfired in the sense that, poof, you're a goat now, but you're also going to live a very, very long time as a goat. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe that was a supernatural power, to live a long time looking like a goat. But he actually did have other superpowers, if you could call them that. Supposedly, he is able to mimic voices and hypnotize people. And if I'm not mistaken, that kind of ties it back to the Skinwalker thing you mentioned earlier, because I think that's in their bag of tricks, too. Is it? I think. Man, the Skinwalkers got me really interested now. I always thought they were just basically wolfmen or wear dogs or something. Unless the possibly hoaxed videos that I've seen on social media have lied to me, and come on, what are the odds of that? I believe there is an element of mimicry that happens in terms of luring hikers and would-be good Samaritans to their doom. Short rant incoming. Going down that same rabbit hole, when I think of videos that I've seen online with the so-called skinwalkers, and it's the same format you see people have done and been debunked using for those sky trumpets, where you have somebody basically pointing a camera either at the sky or into the woods, and you have a sound being played that's either oh, roaring trumpets or somebody's voice saying, mm -hmm. somebody help me, or crying for help, or yeah. whatever. Meanwhile, the person's laptop is in their other hand behind the camera. Yeah. You have things like that that are very easy to hoax, but that also means that there's plenty of different varieties of it out there. Somebody pointing their phone into a darkened woods at night, and all you hear is a very warbled, distorted voice saying, somebody please help me, is somebody out there kind of thing, and it's supposed to send teeny tiny tingles up your spine. This is the Goatman's M.O. 
Using his ability to mimic or hypnotize people, he uses that to lure you up onto the tracks of his train bridge and into the path of an oncoming train. You've got nowhere to go, nowhere to escape. One telling suggests that as you run across the bridge, having been lured there by the goat man himself, he will reach up from between the tracks, grab hold of your legs, and hold you there until a train comes for you. A little unclear now on just what kind of bridge we're talking about, because, you know, I'm thinking about a dark, dank, stone, old train tunnel that offers lots of darkness, lots of shadow to hide in. From what you're describing, it's seeming more like we're talking about one of those very tall, wooden trestle framework bridges that are hundreds of feet above said creek. And I'm curious to know where our goaty friend keeps that axe that he carries while he's clambering all over this thing. I mean, is he just rocking the old prison wallet? I'm thinking prison wallet is the only option. Unless he's carrying a fancy little purse, prison wallet gotta be. And that level of clench, I mean, that's gotta be a product of a deal with the devil too. Well, he's got those goat legs, right? Like, goat legs are powerful. They gotta help you jump and kick and... Does that not mean he also has hooves? Yeah. So, really good, flexible hooves for grasping wooden timbers and balancing yourself and remaining stable. I don't know. I mean, you've got mountain goats can, like, basically Spider-Man up the side of a mountain. I don't know how they do it. Whatever. Maybe they all made deals with the devil. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that was, He's yeah. got hooves. You know what? I mean, deal with the devil is a good blanket condition. I'll accept that. Maybe he's got thumbs on his hooves. Now that would be satanic. I'm wondering about the bridge. Okay. The bridge itself is yep. actually an old train trestle bridge from the late 1800s. It's part of the Norfolk Southern Railway. It's 90 feet high in the air, runs 772 feet end-to-end, well, and is all rusted metal. Well, that but, answers that question. But this is one of the things that fools people. A lot of people go looking for this thing. They think that the train bridge is inactive because it's so rusty, but it is very active. I read one report where up to 20 trains a day can go through this bridge. Well, over this bridge, I guess. So what I'm hearing is you have a guy that makes a deal with the devil for goatee superpowers, and he's given an axe, even though he's a half-goat mutant who presumably wouldn't need one. He's also given the ability to lure people onto a bridge where a train will kill them instead. Of, like, what is this guy actually doing other than swinging around an axe he doesn't really need? and chasing people up onto a train bridge where they get presumably killed by trains. Like, he's not really doing anything. No, he's more of a... He's an idea man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty, right? He, he, he wants somebody else to actually do the deed. He does have something. hands, right? Yes, yeah, okay. he's got hands. Okay. Upper half, I guess, of a person, and then lower half of a goat, or all just covered in hair. Maybe he's Bigfoot with a goat head. I was just going to say, how crazy would it be if, because the devil, known to be something of a trickster, and you go to him saying, oh, you know, I want to be a half-goat monster, and he gives you human feet, and the top, he just gives you, like, hooves for hands and a goat head. No! Other stories say that the monster has been known to hide in the trestles and jump down onto the roofs of cars that travel the road that passes beneath the bridge. I gotta stop you right there. 
the goat man jumps from the bridge and lands on the roofs of vehicles passing under it. Well, he's not jumping from the top of the bridge. The like the trestles underneath that are making up the legs, the supports, he'll hide in some of those because a road runs below it mm-hmm. and then he'll leap off one of those. So he's probably about 20 feet in the air, so, not the whole nine. He's not, so he's because I'm just picturing this guy very gently floating 90 feet to the ground, gingerly perching himself on the roof of a passing sedan, like a small bird that <laughs> looks like a goat. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Like I said, the stories seem to have started sometime in the 60s, which, when it comes to urban legends, generally seems to be pretty standard. A lot of the urban legends that I heard as a kid growing up seem to have taken place in the 60s. But I guess when I was a kid, the 60s were far enough in the past, but not too distant, that it made the stories sound relatively recent and plausible. It's kind of funny to think about every urban legend I've ever heard as a kid coming into reality during the 60s and 70s that make those two decades pretty wild for people of a certain vintage. Were people just that bored back then? That must have been. This is just what they did was just make up shit to tell each other? There was no internet back then. There weren't cell phones. I think TVs still had antennas on them, so you probably got like three channels. Two of those were fuzzy. Probably thought you saw a goat man in the fuzzy channel that you couldn't quite watch your wrestling on because the weather was bad and the high wind was blowing the signal the other way. There's a lot of room for active imagination in the 60s. Oh, hell yeah. The Poplick train bridge itself has been there since the late 1800s, like I said. It's 90 feet high, runs 772 feet from end to end, and the length and the height of this bridge are a deadly combination for anybody venturing out onto it. Since multiple trains pass over the bridge every day, like I had mentioned earlier, anyone venturing out onto it would literally find themselves with nowhere to run if a train came through. And many people, unfortunately, have found out. There have been dozens of deaths connected to this bridge throughout its history, including one as recent as 2019. What I'm getting from this is that you have what starts out as the classic cautionary tale, social control thing, you know, parents, teachers, uh, adults in the community, you know, would tell kids something like, hey, you know, you kids, y'all stay off that dang old bridge or that goat feller, he'll get you. With all the best intentions, parents probably feel like that's enough to keep the kids off the bridge. But it seems like all telling the kids that would have done is just lure more kids up there because now the bridge is not something that's meant to be avoided or stayed away from out of safety. It's, now it's a challenge. It's, it's a feat of bravery. Kids will start going to the bridge specifically to call out the goat man. <laughs> I can't help but think of every stupid thing you've ever seen someone in a horror movie do today is thanks to something that someone stupid did in real life in the 60s. That's a really good point, and I'm sure you're pretty much on the mark with that. Now, while everybody seems to know that the goat man is there, there haven't actually been any real-life sightings of the thing. But, like you just said, unfortunately that doesn't stop people from coming to take a look. And there's a pretty sad, legitimate tale from 2016 of a couple specifically looking for the goat man, which ended in the death of one of them after being struck by a train. Now, this is a real story. It actually happened. There are newspaper reports that could be found all over the place about this. 
a young woman, I believe her name was Raquel Bain, and her boyfriend, David Knee, had bought tickets to take a tour of Waverly Hills Asylum. Now, and there's a name that I'm familiar with. They're waiting for their start time, and they decided to find something else to do. They'd heard about the Goat Man at the Popelick Bridge and decided to go out and check it out. Without going too much into the story, they found themselves trapped on the bridge as a train barreled towards. The young woman was struck and killed, but her boyfriend survived. And he has said since in interviews that he's been mentally destroyed by the event. Now, he was charged with criminal trespassing because this bridge literally belongs to the Southern Railway Company or whoever it is. And there's signs all over the place that say, do not climb onto the bridge, trespassing. But people do it anyway. And this entire incident has basically scarred this guy for life. I could just imagine. I think a lot of this goes back to what I was saying before. There's a certain level of reverse psychology that the harder you try to keep people away from something, the harder they're going to look for a way around it to see what the truth is, to see what's really going on, to see what all the fuss is about. Well, a real-world lesson that seeking the paranormal may be a fun adventure, but there can be consequences that have to be taken into account, plain and simple. That's really all that there is for the Pope Lick monster. So there's no photographic? No. Nothing audio, nothing no. video? No. This is simply a tale that's been passed down from parent to kid, from parent to kid. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So nobody's ever seen this thing. Maryland seems to have its own goat man legend. In 1971, University of Maryland student George Lizama did a folklore project on the goat man in that area. In Lizama's paper, which is now included in the Maryland Folklife Archives, the Goatman was said to be located on Tucker Road in Clinton, Maryland. Months later, Karen Hosler, a reporter, discovered Lizama's project in the archives and reported on it in the Prince George's County News, claiming the Goatman to actually reside near Fletchertown Road in Bowie, Maryland, which also includes the Governor Bridge as part of its territory. This report also includes the theory that the Goatman's origins can be traced to the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. Interesting. So we have a somewhat more concrete origin for this Goatman, but also he's connected to another bridge. Yes. It's odd. I don't understand this connection between Goatman and bridges. So far, we're two Billy Goats gruff in and... We're on our way to a third. Okay. So the Henry A. Wallace Beltsville Agricultural Research Center, or BARC, B-A-R-C for short, is also known as the National Agricultural Research Center, which is part of the United States Department of Agriculture, uh, their research service, which is located in Prince George's County of Maryland. It's used to study air quality, animal health, crop production, crop protection, and quarantine, food and animal production, food safety, global change, human nutrition, integrated farming systems, manure and byproduct utilization, methyl bromide alternatives, plant biological and molecular processes, genomics, and genetic improvement. They do a lot. Oh, they do a lot, all right. I'm seeing global change. I'm seeing genetic improvement. Oh, my finger, my air quotes were massive there. This just sounds like a very convenient and widescaping front for the government to do some shady shit in the name of science. It's more like playing God and you shouldn't trust him. Amen. 
The Center's Harvest for the Hungry program donates about 75,000 pounds or 34 metric tons of fruits and vegetables each year for distribution to local charities in conjunction with volunteers from the community who do much of the actual labor harvesting. Yeah, fruits and vegetables soaked in mind control agents. Uh, I think you need a nap. You've been up a long time. So the center is actually referenced in local folklore as the creation place of their version of the Goatman, claiming that their version was once a scientist who worked at the center before an experiment on goats backfired and mutated him into a half-man, half-goat creature who aggressively attacks cars, again, aggressively attacking cars, and apparently people and animals. Now, this version of a goat person started to spread in the 1970s, although some of the tales claim that they take place in the 1950s. Reports apparently began with multiple reports of missing dogs claiming the goat man was responsible, though when some of these dogs were found, their condition was more consistent with being hit by a train. But regardless, the legend spread, especially among local students, with multiple reports and sightings being made the police, many of which were dismissed as prank calls. I'm liking all these parallels to our previous episode on uh, a trooper caber, where you had a dog running around attacking goats, and now you have a half-man, half-goat running around attacking dogs. That is a good point. Still getting hit by cars. Yeah, everything's eventually going to get hit by a car or a train in these stories, I think. This version was reported to have the face of a human with a hair-covered body. Descriptions were kind of conflicting, though, with some saying it had the upper half of a human and the lower half of a goat, looking more like a fawn or a drunken, horny satyr from Greek tales. Hello, Mr. Tumnus. So, this goat fella also reportedly attacks cars with an axe, but was also said to attack dogs in the area. Apparently, it has a shack in the woods that it lives in, much like Jason Voorhees did in Friday the 13th Part 2, until those damn kids at the counselor training camp ruined a good thing he had going on. Then he went on the run, much like we did when, you know, certain cryptids came after us. But there's more murder and mayhem but, with wait. Jason. Oh, I was... Yeah. I was getting nervous there, man. I was going to I was gonna get you to cut that, because we don't have to go into any... any you know what I... <laughs> One thing I'd like to bring up here is that despite being half animal and half human, it's the human half that decides that he's still above eating and sleeping outdoors and requires the privacy of a roof over his head. If I was a goat man, eh, I wouldn't have to worry about changing my pants. No. I'd be letting a little goat thang hang out. Don't need to worry about pants when you're a goat man. Nope. Let it all hang out, baby. Much like Goatman McPopelicker previously, uh, this legend has a couple different versions to it for its origin. As previously stated, one of the origins is a scientist at the Bark Research Center experimenting on goats and it backfiring somehow and mutating them. What like, was he doing to these things? I, I don't know. Because this sounds very genetic, and I mean, I'm not saying, but kind of saying. The only thing that springs to mind when it says he was experimenting on goats and it backfired, you know, I get these comic book panels in my head that he's using some kind of ray on goats and then gets knocked in front of it or trips and falls in front of it. And then his DNA and goat DNA 
in this ray get mixed, and uh, then a legend is born. So you're talking about a little brundle goat. So this sounds like kind of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then again, this was the 70s, and I think there were a lot of movies preceding it that involved mutant experiments. Another was of a local hermit who roams the lonely roads in the woods. That's that's it. That's that's the other possible origin, was a lonely hermit who wanders around in the woods. But there's no mention of this hermit being excessively hairy or having horns or hooves or anything. It's just a guy. Really hairy guy. Maybe it's an Italian dude with a shirt off. <laughs> I could be a goat man. One more possible origin is of a local goat herder who goes berserk after finding his herd of goats dead because of teenagers who had been messing around with them in a bit of mean-spirited mischief, and the goat farmer then vows revenge on any teenager he finds. I'm sorry. Mean-spirited mischief? We're talking about the murder of several goats. Mean-spirited mischief just seems to not really cover it. Well, I mean, it it kind of depends on what their mischief was. Maybe their mean-spirited mischief was to just try to scare them, and they accidentally all ran off of a cliff. Maybe they didn't mean to do that. Maybe one of them decided to get it in his head. He was drinking a little bit, decided to teach a goat how to drive his car, and it just drove into the rest of the herd. You ever see those videos of the fainting goats? Yes, I love those videos. Those things are awesome. Another version gives no specific origin tale, but states that the goat man would attack couples on Lover's Lane. Now, for you youngins out there, Lover's Lane would be a generic term that people of a certain vintage will be familiar with. Lover's Lane was a nickname for a stretch of road in any town, usually a small any town, popular with teenagers that would be sort of secluded in an area that was wide enough to pull off the road, maybe see the lights of the city and make out a little bit with your significant other. A lot of movies in the 50s and 60s and more than a few urban legends from that time would incorporate Lover's Lane location into their story. Thinking of the Lover's Lane and the urban legends that are associated with it, I'm sure this is a topic that will come up on a future episode. And I'm sure that regardless of how old you are, maybe not, you know, if I was to just say the words, the hook, I think a lot of people would get that same creepy giggle. The Lover's Lane, this was the place in old-timey movies where you'd always have the horny teens in the backseat of someone's convertible, and a comet or a UFO would streak through the night sky overhead, and Chad Brad Letterman would insist on going to check it out. Yep, and inevitably he'd be the first victim. Now, like I said, some of the tales take place in the 50s and 60s, but the story really started to spread in the 70s when a local puppy dog was found decapitated near Fletchertown Road in Bowie, Maryland. The reporter who covered the story for the Prince George's County News, yes, small-town newspapers did actually report stuff like this, suggested that the poor fella had been hit by a train. But as the story got passed around, locals morphed it into a tale of an angry goat man going after dogs, and this little fella was just one of his victims. All I can hear in my head at this point is Richard Dreyfus in that scene from Jaws where they have the first autopsy victim in the basket on the table, and he just rips his glasses off. This was no boating accident! A puppy is not very large, and a puppy to be decapitated would take a lot more precision than a freight train might allow for. I can see how someone would put those two things together and insist that the cause was something a little less gigantic. The paper did report that 
it was probably hit by a train. The paper also reported that some teenage girls claimed to have seen a large creature in the area the night the dog went missing, and reports of goat men along the Fletchertown Road area began to increase from then on. Hmm. But Goaty McGoderson caught his big break when the Washington Post reported on that legend and that story. The Washington Post. That's right. It's funny. That particular publication has come up more than once in our conversations. And it's always seemed to have served as a jumping off point for these stories before they go from very local to country and or worldwide. Well, maybe they're the only ones reporting the truth. Well, the Washington Post and the National Enquirer. Okay, two papers reporting the truth. In an article from the monthly magazine The Washingtonian, published October 30th, 2015, historian and author Mark Upsasnik, who grew up in the area, was quoted as saying he and his friends would go goat manhunting. In fact, searching for the monster had become a local teen obsession. Upsasnik describes goat man parties on Fletchertown Road and nearby Crybaby Bridge, another legend that many towns have, that sounded like something out of Dazed and Confused. He's quoted as saying, Halloween night 1979 was one of the craziest nights of my life. This is exactly what I was talking about with the bridge. It's crazy how quickly, you know, you escalate from, hey, you kids, better stay out of them thar woods, lest the goat man get you, devolves into, hey, gang, I ain't a scared no goat man. Let's meet out here at midnight with our parents carelessly kept in readily accessible firearms. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Well, apparently not much if you're a goat man, because ain't nobody shot a goat man yet. No, no. But I'm sure there were a couple of semi-inebriated teens who wound up with grazing flesh wounds. Yeah, probably a couple. Opsasnik would later do a deep dive research piece into the goat man and actually track down the men who had found the headless pup that we had mentioned earlier. One of them said the night before the discovery, they had all seen a hairy animal about six feet tall that walked on two legs and made a high-pitched squealing sound. He also spoke to the dog's owner, who said the papers made them out to be, quote, ignorant hillbillies who didn't know any better. But she believes what she saw was real, and whatever it was, she believes it killed her dog. Of course, it's just as likely that, as one final theory suggests, it was just a made-up tale to tell kids who would stray too far from home when the area was more rural than it is today. And before we finish up our tales of Goatmen and their bridges, apparently, I'd be remiss in my duties if I didn't mention the old Elton Bridge, a.k.a. the Goatman Bridge, a.k.a. Ryan and Shane's Bridge. Let's talk about the Goatman of old Elton Bridge. Start with a little bit of history. Elton Bridge is an iron truss bridge built in 1884 to connect the cities of Denton and Copper Canyon in Texas. It spanned Hickory Creek and is named after the abandoned community or ghost town of Elton, which was, at one point, the administrative center of the county. Elton, as a town, has its own colorful history, as it originally became the seat of government while having only one resident, W.C. Baines, who had a farm in the area. Business was conducted on his land because it had drinking water. Yay! And because of that, a town eventually grew up around his property. So his land had all the water. His land had water that probably wouldn't make you poop yourself. <laughs> and so that logically became the place where people went and hung out, unless they really wanted to drink water somewhere else and poop themselves. So the town eventually grew up around his property. But after a few years, guess what? The water went bad. So they had to move on. 
presence of bad water sounds like it would go a long way to explaining a lot of what people think they see in this area. That's a good point. Now, despite the downfall of the town, the bridge remained in constant use until 2001. Very recent. If you've seen the episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural, yes, where Ryan and Shane challenge the Goatman, and the Goatman does not step up, so Shane declares it as his bridge, you'll know that it's not a huge bridge. Yeah. It's wide enough for basically a single car, right? Uh, but it was still in in use, as I said, up till 2001. Basically, you came up to the bridge, you honked your horn. If you heard another honk, you kind of pulled over to the side, let somebody pass, and then you were able to take the bridge over. Mm. After that point, around 2001, they actually built a multi-lane steel and concrete bridge close by, and traffic was all directed through there. Because there was no more car traffic, Elton Bridge became popular with horse riding and hikers. But as for the Goatman of Elton Bridge, there's a couple points of origin. One states that in 1860, predating the bridge by two and a half decades, some Copper Canyon residents lynched a Creole slave goat herder. It's claimed that when they hung him, his head popped right off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, continue. After his head popped off, Jesus Christ. His corpse rose from the ground, tore the head off of a nearby goat, and used it to replace his own, which was still dangling from the noose. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I really am. A man is hung. His head pops off. Don't forget that. How? how, I'm probably nitpicking this, but I'm trying to imagine how tightly you'd have to tie a noose to have someone's head come off for his corpse to hit the ground, get up off the ground, locate a nearby goat, first of all, with no eyes or head, then tear the goat's head off and use it to replace his own. Why would he not? Okay. I would imagine if the goat was the center of his livelihood, I find it's a very odd reaction to say, hey, my head is still in the news where they left it. I could easily just put that back on. But no, you know what? I'm going to reach over and I'm going to tear the head off a living animal and use that instead. That... That is just batshit banana sandwich crazy. So my first question was, why not just take his own head and put it back on his body? Exactly. I don't know, man. You know what? Heat of the moment. He's now headless. He's angry. And he just needs to take his frustration out. What'd the goat do to you? Well, he can't see. He just grabbed something. A plot twist. If anything, he should be grabbing the head off of one of the people that hung him in the first place. Well, maybe his head in the noose was shouting instructions to his body. He's like, no, 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 to your left, to your left. But, you know, sometimes when somebody's like, to your left, no, your other left. Wrong left. Not right, left. And he grabbed the goat and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to use this. That is delightfully slapstick. Yeah. And for him... Horrifyingly slapstick. Horrifying. The fact that he tears the goat's head off, too. Like, he doesn't use a knife or any kind of tools like he basically and i'm trying to even picture this in my head whether he i don't know gets the goat kind of in a like a a chin lock under its 
and then like kind of puts one leg over its back and then lifts up. The mechanics of that are just baffling. That's just one of the possible origins for the legend, which again predates the bridge. The other possible uh, origin for the story actually doesn't involve a half-goat, half-man hybrid. It's just a guy. But he was the goat man. Okay. Now, I hear you asking, in your brain, I can hear it through your teeny tiny tingly ears, but Rico, what do you mean he wasn't a goat man, but he was the goat man? He wasn't a goat man. He was the goat man. This second legend is of an African-American goat farmer named Oscar Washburn in the 1930s who had a prosperous farm near the bridge. The man and his family quickly gained a reputation for being honest, hardworking, and providing high-quality goat-related products. I'm assuming meat, cheese, and I don't know what else a goat-related product would be. Milk. Milk? Ooh, goat's milk. Yeah, I don't know what the byproducts of goat are aside from the aforementioned meat, cheese, milk, and... Maybe just goat hide? Yeah, or just for anyone who needed a goat. Goats all over the place. So Oscar Washburn and his family build up this reputation for being honest, hardworking, and providing high-quality goat-related products. He was prosperous enough that at one point, he became known as the Goat Man. That's why he was the Goat Man. Mm, okay. And he hung a sign near the bridge pointing the way to his farm that read, This Way to the Goat Man. People of the area knew him. They knew his reputation, and now he had a sign pointing them towards his business. Good for this man. If you need a goat, hey, he's your go-to man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, you and I are thinking, hey, great on him. Honest, hardworking fella. But then enter the Ku Klux Klan. Because mm. this is the South. White people in power do not want people of color to have anything good or be prosperous at all. So, the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan weren't very happy that this honest black family had any sort of prosperity, and one night they decided to put a stop to it. So, under cover of darkness, they drove over the bridge, turning off their headlights as not to alert him to their approach, and attacked his farm. They kidnapped him, dragged him back to the bridge, put a noose around his neck, tied the other end to the bridge railing, and threw him over. And when they all climbed down the embankment to make sure he was dead, all they found was an empty noose. Oh, see, now you've got one group of people who tie the noose way too tight. You've got these chuckleheads who tie the noose way too loose. So far, the only thing in this whole origin story that's been hung successfully is a sign. Yep, the goat man. That's right. That's right. The only one who does quality work and provides a quality product. Now, the KKK members, because they're a bunch of idiots, because they're KKK members, searched for the body but found nothing. And they ended up going back to his farm, setting the place on fire, and killing the goat man's wife and children in the process. Farmer was never seen again. However, a legend arose that the ghost of the goat man has haunted the bridge ever since. Legend says that if you drive to the bridge at midnight, turn off your headlights, and honk your horn three times, it'll summon the spirit of the goat man. Some tales say all you need to do is knock on the bridge three times at midnight to summon him. 
I assume this version spread probably after the bridge was closed to traffic, when it was mostly people on foot. Just sounds like something that would be a natural evolution of the story. But a stench of decaying flesh precedes him, and glowing eyes from the surrounding woods are an indication that he's near, and there are also reports of a large goat-headed man-thing having been seen. Sometimes it's carrying severed goat heads, sometimes it's carrying severed human heads. Why the honest, murdered farmer has a goat's head instead of a human one is anybody's guess. He never put a goat's head on his neck stump, No, as far as we know, and he certainly was not half man, half goat. And if he was a successful goat farmer known for the quality of his stock, why is he carrying a severed goat head? Or a severed goat's head? This version of the story seems to not really know what it wants to be. No, because it sucks that, if true, you have a story about a good, honest, hardworking man done dirty by a bunch of very shitty people. I don't even know that it's irony that the guy that comes back from the dead and that's reported to still haunt the area where he was killed, he's the one made out to be the scary, violent individual with the severed heads and the whatnot and the glavin, while the KKK members, while they were alive, did shit far worse than our goat ghost has ever done. So you have the bad guys in real life who are the bad guys. Then you have the victim who all he wants to do is get some revenge on the people that ruined his life. Yet he's made out to be the one that walks around with severed heads and dripping with blood. And like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Dude got done dirty in life and he's getting done dirty in the afterlife. Now, a different version of this urban legend claims that the woods have been used for satanic rituals, which opened a portal to hell and a goat-headed monster came through and stalks the area. So completely different than anything that we've heard before. Dark and spooky woods, like the ones surrounding the Alton Ridge, can gain a reputation very similar to our previously referenced Lover's Lane. In both cases, you have a very dark, very isolated place that you're going to for a very specific reason. There's also another legend. For the Alton Bridge. Doesn't have anything to do with the Goatman. This one claims that the area is haunted by the ghost of Oscar Washburn's wife. Non-goat-headed variety. Now that I like. And she's looking for the spirits of her murdered children from that night. We've got some, uh, oh man, I always butcher this name. Our Spanish weeping woman. <laughs> oh, La Llorona. Thank you. Yeah, I'm liking the parallels there to La Llorona. The Weeping Woman. Yeah, what Rico said. Some very, very different versions on this bridge. I mean, you've got the one sort of classic half-goat, half-man, but really goat-headed man-body. But then everything else to do with it is an old farmer. I mean, there is the demon from hell, but why would a demon from hell even look like a goat? It's a little cliche, yeah. really, you know. Yeah. A little on brand. And then you've got the ghost of his wife looking for their children. There's a bunch of different stories for this, and it's nice that they're varied. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of stuff going on there. The other ones are like, oh, goaty McGoat Man, goaty, goaty, goaty. And then this one at least throws something a little different into the mix, right? Now, having said all that, I've got to bring up what pretty much everything in my research brought up. Oscar Washburn, there is no record of anybody by that name 
living there in that area at that time. That was actually going to be my next question is that if we have a name, I can only assume we would have a burial site. But if you're saying there's no Oscar... Landowning records, um, something like that, burial site, like you said. But remember, the story was true. He disappeared and was never seen again. So you wouldn't have a burial site, would you? No, but his wife and kids would. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. You got me there. I'm stumped, I guess. But <laughs> apparently there is no actual record of an Oscar Washburn owning any land in hmm. that area at that time. Maybe there was a different Oscar Washburn at a different point in history registered there. but. Apparently, everything that I've read, nobody can find an actual proof that this gentleman existed and lived in that area at that time. Regardless of what version it is, apparently the key is knocking on the bridge three times, and that brings forth the Goatman, who some say only murders people with family ties to the KKK or former slave owners. Could you imagine traveling to Texas on some sort of hot girl summer paranormal road trip deal, right? And the climax of the voyage is going to the Alton Bridge and, you know, walking in the footsteps of Shane and Ryan. And, you know, everyone's all nervous laughter and cameras are out and live streaming. It's your turn. You go up to the railing, you knock three times, and... All of a sudden, in this cloud of sulfur, this goat-headed monster comes out and just wrecks you because through the absolute worst version of 23andMe ever, it turns out that you had slave owners or racists in your family tree going back generations that you had no idea were there. Like, surprise! Uh, that would make for a pretty crappy trip. Yep. Surprise, motherfucker! <laughs> and then suddenly he takes your head off. What are you going to do? Yeah. And all of your friends are like, oh my God. And then Goatman just salutes, poof, back into a puff of smoke. He's gone. And then now all your friends know that was a person who was descended by racists or slave owners. That would suck. That would really suck. Yeah. Oh, this is awkward. Way to ruin a hot girl summer. <laughs> Thanks, granddad. All of these stories seem to have two things in common that I don't quite understand or can put my finger on why. Goatmen and their bridges. Everything's got a goatman, but all the goatmen also kind of have a bridge, and I don't understand why. The only thing with goats and bridges, in my mind, is the three billy goats gruff, but they were the good guys. It was the troll underneath that the oh, third billy true. goat gruff ends up taken down because he's a real jerk. Mm -hmm. But goats and bridges, goatmen and bridges, I guess. I don't see why, but it's there. Yeah, Any theories? I I can't explain each one's connection to a bridge, but I can kind of see the purpose of each one in more of a storytelling capacity. If you look at Hope Lick Goat Monster, you have, as I said before, sort of this cautionary tale meant to keep kids off of and away from a dangerous train bridge that kind of spun out of control and became more of a call to action than anything else. If you look at the Maryland Goatman, to me, all that rings of is, I believe you mentioned that was during the 60s or 70s. Yes. You know, that was some peak mistrust for the U.S. government with, you know, the wars they were fighting, the people they had in office, you know, everything that was going on. Genetic experimentation. You had 
a U.S. government research facility where people aren't permitted to learn about what's going on inside and you have a general distrust of the people doing those experiments in the first place, you're going to get a lot of very crazy ideas about what's going on in there. And I could see how that would easily lead to the goat man being the government's fault. And with our third and final iteration down in yield Alton, Texas town, that's just a story about just shitty people being shitty and racism and injustice revenge. I mean, two stories in that one about yes. black people being hung. In the areas each of those stories were most popular, you can get a sense of just the overarching mindset at the time for each place. At the end of the day, yeah, I can see three different inspirations for what would lead people to believe in three types of mysterious beasts. Ben. Yes, Rico. Does the case of the goaty folk, the goat men, the goat people of Hopelik, of Maryland, and of Elton Bridge, does the lore win in this case for you? Rico, I gotta tell you that yes, I do believe in this case the lore wins, and I'll tell you why, brother. Because these three stories all involve something that is still far too commonplace today. You still have people going to places they're not supposed to be. You still have people who don't trust the government. And you still have racism. Those are three things that still exist in the world now. Sadly, they're all still fairly constant. And I think as long as those issues remain contemporary, you're always going to have a reason why these stories get started. I think it bears mentioning that any of these stories that had their origin in and around the 50s and 60s, we have to acknowledge the sheer volume of science fiction movies that were prevalent at that time. America was in the midst of this technological tidal wave that was taking them through the nuclear age and jet propulsion, and the car was sort of at its peak. You know, any kind of space exploration movie, any kind of mad scientist movie, any kind of movie about flubber or whatever, you know, everything was coming around out of this time. So the idea of scientific experimentation especially scientific experimentation gone wrong, you know, was just on everybody's mind at this time to anyway. You said, for a variety of reasons, the lore has won. Mm -hmm. I think the lore has won too. I think it is won for me in terms of urban legends. In this day and age, you don't hear a lot about the old 60s urban legends. Or you don't hear about those 60s urban legends in the same way you used to. Everything has kind of been updated. Stuff has changed. You're getting new urban legends for an internet age. But people are at least still going back and talking about these. And I know I say every single episode, people are still talking about it. So the lore won. <laughs> but to a large degree, it's true. People are still talking about it. The lore has been fighting its way through history. So the fact that you still hear this urban legend now 
when so many other urban legends have fallen by the wayside, I think is pretty cool. Even though the history of why some of the urban legends propped up are not very good, these are still things that interest people. And people are still searching them out. People are still telling stories about it. People are still writing articles about it. People are still talking about it, like we are right now. And I think that in the end, these stories have survived and pretty cool. And because of that, I also think this week, the lore has won. It is the winner. Ding, ding, ding. We hope that you'll join us next time for another road trip into the spooky, weird, or supernatural, where we'll once again try to figure out if the lore has won or lost. I'm Rico Sweets from the Mean Streets. Um, B Mac Ben McDewey. And we're going to head out on the road again. And if we could keep it actually on the road and not cross any large bodies of water this time, that'd be great. My socks would thank you. Hey, you know what? I apologized. We made it there. We made it back. Now we need a new Winnebago. Do you know how to hotwire a Winnebago? Do I know how to hotwire? <laughs> Come on, man. No, I don't. No. Okay. Uh, all right. We'll, we'll have to think of something. All right. Thank you once again for joining us. Hey, Siri. How do you hotwire a vehicle?